focusing on the white church and white theology, we're so used to history being upbeat from our perspective that we would do this. That's the lens that we would read the Bible through. I mean, you know, you, a, long, a lot of times um, I've sat through conversations of, well, you know, uh, I think that's part of the idea of wanting to get back to Acts 4. And, oh, let's just bring it back to what it was like. Oh, it'd be so cool to walk around with Jesus and be one of his disciples. And, you know, I totally would have done something differently than Peter. Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Sheever. And, uh, boy, it you feels... It, George. I know. Here we are. Two weeks in a row. I mean, does last week count? I think uh, it counts, because I mean, it, it came out on a Wednesday, and we're following it up with another episode. That's true. All right. Two weeks in a row. It's two. our news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I kind of just want to get into it unless you want to do a little preamble. But so you a couple of weeks ago, Dust started a um, looking at acts as a political type statement. I, I know I'm getting that not completely accurate, but well, I, I so I, I kind of dubbed it as a field guide to overthrowing empire um, and oppression. Uh, so, I mean, obviously that has some very political things behind it. Um, but I think in our, in our current setting, our environment to, to say that uh, to read acts as a political uh, thing doesn't quite feel right to me. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's absolutely political, right? Like, it's just, it doesn't fit the two-party system of the United States. Um, because whether you're conservative, liberal, somewhere in between, independent, green, whatever it might be, um, the Book of Acts is going to challenge the desire of any of those parties to maintain power as an empire. Yeah. And so we're going to take the next however long and kind of dovetail along with, with dust on this podcast, because this is something that uh, I think is really good for our listeners. So, you know, one week we might not be talking about it. We might talk about whatever, but this is going to be our series going forward, whether it's every week, we'll, we'll figure that out as we come. Uh, just because you just never know what comes up. Right. And you never know if we're going to be on every week. Yeah, well, I mean that. <laughs> you should not set your watch by us. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess one of the, the, the first things that I want to ask you about this uh, before we, uh, before I just kind of let you loose and start asking questions and, you know, doing what discipleship looks like <laughs> with somebody who hasn't prepared um, is... <laughs> so I've often heard you and we've talked about it in this podcast about uh, what Jesus does is all about confronting empire and yeah. we specifically call out Rome in it. And, you know, sometimes we'll talk about the relationship between um, the, those who are in charge of the temple at the time and Rome and what it looked like in order to maintain pow a power balance mm -hmm. um, kind of like, you know, 
this is the best worst case scenario we can get. Right. Uh, but you know, some I, I've had a lot of conversations with some of our listeners about, okay, well, Jesus isn't actually calling out Rome. He seems to just be calling out what's going on in the temple and what's going on with the Pharisees at the time. So I would like to get your perspective on, on that. What would you say to somebody that is saying, well, Jesus well, was political, but only a political sense of trying to reform what was going on in Judaism and not what was going on with the power structures at hand. Yeah. Um, I think that that is probably a relatively common way that the text has been taught, right? What, what gets missed is that the way that Jesus is encouraging people to live, behave, treat one another, engage the world is fundamentally at its core opposed to empire. So though Jesus might not make many statements that are directly uh, condemning of Rome, but you have to remember Jesus may have said those things, but the books that were written, the gospels, each individual gospel was being circulated throughout Rome. And so the author has some incentive to make these books subversive instead of direct, right? To make them almost like hint at these things without saying Rome is an oppressor and we need to overthrow it. So instead, they use these amazing allusions to passages in the Bible, like the Exodus, right? Like Matthew, for instance. Man, Matthew just can't get over Exodus language early on, where he makes it about Herod killing the firstborn babies, uh, firstborn males, which is very Exodus, that's going down to Egypt because of a famine, very Exodus, right? So all of the language in there is Exodus. And this will actually be really important for our conversation on the book of Acts as well, right? Is that by, by speaking and inferring and implying Exodus language, when Israelites, Jewish people, people of the Torah, people of the text, when they hear that Jesus is doing Exodus work, what do you think they hear? Yeah, I mean, I it's, you know, fr- uh, freeing of oppression. Right. Yeah. To escape empire and the oppressor. To, and possibly destroy them in a reed sea somehow, right? Like, you know, uh, you can talk about the casting of demons from the Gentile into the herd of pigs that then rush down the hillside into the water and drown. That is very Exodus imagery of the Roman army being drowned in the sea. So there are absolute illusions constantly, but it's almost like, you know, the secret decoder ring and that's Torah, right? Like, that, um, you know, you get in the cereal box and you have to have the, like the little red flimsy plastic piece yeah. to hold over top of it to read it. That's what Torah is to the Gospels. And I think that's a really important way to, for us to understand it. That in Christianity today, we've thrown away the decoder ring and we just read the text. And so we're not seeing a lot of this stuff 
There's a lot of hidden things in there that we're not seeing. But if you were to actually use the, the red lens, so to speak, of Torah over the Gospels, all of a sudden you start to see this thread of anti-empire and very political things that Jesus is doing that is so significant, so important. And it's a travesty that Christianity has gotten rid of the secret decoder. Um, and then when you do, the only enemy in the Gospels are the Jews. And then you become anti-Jewish at best, anti-Semitic at worst. And when you actually hold the decoder over it, you find that, no, those are critiques about some of the unhealth that Judaism was in in that time where Judaism chose to be in bed with Rome instead of opposing it. And, but at the end of the day, if you hold Torah over the text, you find this is actually a, a, a plea and a cry that the good news is going to be the overthrow of Rome or the overthrow of every empire, the overthrow of every uh, oppressor. That's the good news. So anyhow. Oh yeah. No, I just thought that that was an important um, base to go from before we get into this, because there's going to be a lot of talk about overthrowing the empire and what yeah. that looks like. So uh, just to have that. And I want to thank you and the listeners because that's the first time I've ever thought of Torah as a secret decoder. Uh, Something has to tell you to drink more Ovaltine. So that's that's before my time. No, it's, 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 uh, it's it's before my time. It's that's what the uh, little orphan Annie secret decoder ring says in um, a Christmas story. Ralph, oh, Ralph, Ralphie's in the bathroom. Right. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that. That's <laughs> absolutely right. Drink more. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, into Acts then. Um, I'm excited. This is the. I, I know we talked about it. Uh, the um, we talked about it in one of the last episodes that we did. So starting from the beginning, this is the first time I've gone through it with you. In nine years. Yeah. So I'm stoked. Yeah. I think, I think the best place for us to start and we'll probably take up this entire episode is really just kind of having and doing an overview of, and not an overview of the book of acts itself, but an overview of why the book of acts, right? Like what is the point of the book of acts? Um, and I think that that's a really important place. I, I think oftentimes when we do overview of books, whether that's you reading it in your uh, study Bible or a commentary or something, it's it's more talking about the layout and the the chapters and the natural flow of the text. But I, I would rather us talk about what got us here, like what landed us at Acts 1 um, and what what about that landing will influence and shape the way we read it? So, um, yeah, I think maybe, maybe start there, George, like what, how do you perceive? And so you kind of, you, you got to be a part of that, some of this discussion at the church. So you have a little bit of insight. So in some ways we're, I'm going to ask you to kind of play the, 
what you had thought of it. Yeah. Um, um, <clears throat> so in the, in the past, the way that I had always been, I had always looked at acts or been taught it was um, this is the, the history of the church. So this, this is where we came from. This is, you know, some people would say, oh, this is where we need to go back to, you know, like just living and <laughs> with all of our stuff pulled together. And, you know, I mean, it was just so much more simpler back then. I and, hope that after I'm done and we're done going through this, George, yeah. that none of our listeners uh, ever, ever again say, we should go back to being like an Axe church. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think that'll be a problem. Um, and, but it, yeah, it has always been, you know, this is the second book that Luke wrote. And so it's uh, it's a narrative of, of what, uh, of why Paul is the best of us. Hmm. So that's what I had thought of it in the past. Interesting. Um, so when I asked that question a couple of weeks ago at church, you know, a lot of the different feedback and help me remember some of them, but I know like I'll try. the giving of the Holy spirit. Yeah. Right? Like, so we have acts to, we have how to start a church. Like it's a lot of church planting, uh, you know, what, what the church should look like type things. Um, I'm trying to remember what some of the other things were that that people had perceived in the past the book of Acts to be about. I, and I think a lot of it just comes down to what you said, right? It's the it's a narrative of the early goings of the church. And so it's kind of like our story. Yeah. Like Deuteronomy is Jew, the Jewish story. Um, and yeah. Uh, Acts two is our story. That's it. You know, I had never heard it put that way, but that absolutely makes sense. I mean, every, every person I, not every person I've known a lot of people who treat acts as, as that, that origin story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I never, origin I, story is a great way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd never put it that to put that together like the, the Deuteronomy comparison to Acts. Yeah, it's it's also the transition where we can begin to forget the teachings of Jesus and only embrace the teachings of Paul. Well, no. yeah, that's very true. The best transitions in the Bible, right? It's yeah. Like, like, oh, this is the moment where we start putting Paul ahead of Jesus um, or interpret Jesus through Paul instead of Paul through Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, so that's for a lot of people, that's the setting. And um, that carries with it a, diff- a set of emotions, right? So when reading the book of Acts, a lot of people, it's exciting, it's interesting, it's, uh, it's a good time, it's a time of growth, it's a time of the church getting its legs under it, it's a time of, you know, the gospel spreading around the world. It's like, so like the emotion that tends to go with reading the book of Acts tends to be very positive, right? Like yeah. it, it's a very positive book, you know, unless you're Ananias and Sapphira, you might not feel the same way, but like hmm. that it's, <clears throat> excuse me, but, but the emotion that we uh, kind of apply to the characters in the story of Acts is one of great excitement. 
and uh, evangelism happening, conversions happening, witnessing happening, and uh, all of this stuff. And it becomes like this almost very celebratory reading. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I would say this is also where um, most of the church takes their idea of what the Great Commission looks like. Mm. And that and, it's, it's a singular moment and it yeah. creates the static image of the moment you hear about who Jesus is, that's all discipleship looks like because it's spreading to all nations from uh, Acts 2. Right. So have you, um, have you ever watched any, any of the uh, videos where uh, someone takes a, like a upbeat song um, and, and then plays it in C minor? No, I don't think I have. The idea is that in music, the different keys that you play a song in will impact the way the song feels. Okay. So like a lot of songs are played in C major, which tends to be uh, very upbeat, happy um, type music um, or D major. So like all the majors in my understanding for the most part tend to be upbeat. But if you take like... Um, a really upbeat song and you play it in C minor, it becomes super haunting. It changes the entire mood of the song and the song almost takes on a whole different meaning and it definitely takes on a whole different feeling. And I feel like in some ways we have taken a C minor song, the book of Acts and changed the key to a major in order to make it feel uplifting, upbeat, and happy. Interesting. So we, we're kind of doing the opposite. And by the way, if you're listening to this, definitely check out some of those videos of uh, taking upbeat songs and playing them in C minor. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it totally changes it. But, but I think we've done the opposite with the book of Acts and the way that we interpret it, right? Is that we've taken this, what I would say is this pretty daunting and sad and emotional and heavy book and instead played it in C major. So we don't have to deal with those emotions. Uh, and we've made it all about more upbeat. Um, we, we prefer <laughs> that. That was going to be a funny statement. I was going to say, we prefer bare naked ladies over nine inch nails, but Wow, that works on so many levels. It does. Fiction. Yeah, this is let's, great. Let's just keep going. So anyhow, we prefer the upbeat. And so we want upbeat, particularly in the white church and white theology, we want upbeat. Um, but I would argue we're going to take a look at this as I believe it was written, which was in C minor. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense, especially focusing on the white church and white theology, we're so used to history being upbeat from our perspective that we would do this. That's the lens that we would read the Bible through. I mean, you know, you, a, long, a lot of times um, I've sat through conversations of, well, oh, you know, uh, I think that's part of the idea of wanting to get back to Acts 4 
and oh let's just bring it back to what it was like oh it'd be so cool to walk around with jesus and be one of his disciples and you know i totally would have done something differently than peter that makes sense to me yeah oh absolutely uh yeah so so let's let's dive in then with that perspective of c minor so when we shift this to to c minor and people might get tired of me saying that now um but when we shift it, so what is the actual setting then of the book of Acts? Like what is the most important thing that has just occurred basically that is leading into Acts? The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Yes. And we have so sanitized that by making it spiritual. Yeah. Right. Which seems strange to say, but we have. We have sanitized that by it being about triumph as opposed to their leader, the person that they were following, was just brutally beaten, mutilated, cut open in front of everyone, left as a bloody lump on, on a on a tree and basically was lynched. Yeah. I mean, James Cone makes that comparison very well in the cross and the lynching tree, which I believe we've discussed on this podcast before. Um, I mean, so the setting is, is that their leader was just lynched. Yes. This is, they're not like, tiptoeing through the tulips frolicking here because if your leader gets lynched, who's next? That is a great question. Especially if you're not going to denounce it, especially if you're going to continue on. And so Jesus appears to them. I was just talking to Chris Sanchez, who I think we ran a repeat of his episode a couple weeks ago. Him and I were talking yesterday and we were talking about the road uh, to Emmaus and how they didn't recognize him. Yeah. And we were talking and he brought up this amazing point and he's like, I think when you experience something so traumatic as seeing the person that has discipled you 24 seven for the last three years, get beaten, mutilated and lynched in front of you, that the trauma that you experience in that moment, that of course they didn't recognize him. And I just, that was such an interesting thing to me. I told him, I was like, you need to write that down because that's such a brilliant picture. It's not just that he was uh, unrecognizable. Mary in the garden, right? Like they just experienced this unbelievably traumatic event and they are scared because they're next right? Like they're high on the wanted list um, by Rome and also by the leaders of the temple because the leaders of the temple want to keep peace with Rome. So they're hiding from everyone. And so this is, this traumatic experience is where we're at. We're in the, we're in the middle of trauma Um, and people are scared. People are are crying people are in fear people like this is the apostles right when it says they went up to the upper room i think they hid 
in the upper room. I don't think that they were up there lounging, playing Xbox and PS4, waiting for the new PS5 to come out. Like they were scared. They were, they were afraid. And I, I just think that's so important. Yeah, I, I would agree. So George, what do you think, how does that impact the story if we apply what seems to be more likely emotions to the apostles? I mean, I, I definitely think it, it uh, shifts the narrative a little bit. I mean, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the concept of, of Jesus conquering death and, and that being a good thing, but it's two sides of the same coin. And the problem is we've looked at that one side for too long. And so shaking it up and reestablishing, these are the stakes. Like it's great that Jesus came and conquered death and is sitting with them in the first part of acts, whether that's actually what happened or it's Luke recapping it to, um, or recapping it for his audience. But the fact is, is, Jesus will ascend at some point and his disciples will still be around to deal with the consequences of those actions. Absolutely. And I think to your point, you know, Jesus overcame death. I really would like to shift that a little bit. Okay. I don't think that's shocking to the apostles. Right. Because some of the apostles were on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah showed up. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Jesus, uh, you know, often spoke of God being the God of the living and the naming Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, implying that they're alive. Jesus gives uh, parables about uh, Abraham's bosom and the two men after death, one uh, Lazarus and the rich man, right? Yeah, um, they saw, they all witnessed Lazarus being risen from the dead. That's right. Yeah. So, so to me, the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead is not all that shocking. It is to us. And so that's how we read it. But, but what do you think the message is instead of risen from the dead? What do you think it, it might be? I have no idea. Empire can't kill him. Empire's greatest weapon is the threat of termination. And Empire gave its best shot. It used the most cruel and heinous way to dismantle this human being, to uh, embarrass him, to shame him, hang him naked from a cross. And it didn't work. So when Jesus appears to the apostles, I don't think that they're looking at him going, wow, uh, this was all about overcoming death. I think it was like, F you empire. Right? Like, I think that that was the way they, they saw this was like, oh my gosh, Caesar could not kill the king of the Jews. Caesar failed to kill him. Uh, and Caesar gave his best shot and it didn't work. Does that make sense? No, of course it makes sense. I mean, so anyway, that's where we're finding ourselves at the beginning of Acts, which definitely should impact how you approach it. 
Yeah, and and there's more to it than that, right? Because we just had we we mentioned the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Yeah. And what? How does Luke record that? Do you remember what Luke records Moses as saying? I do not. Uh, let's see if I can find it real quick. And this is really important for us to kind of set the scene. Yeah. We need to find some music to play over this part, like maybe Jeopardy. <laughs> if as long as it's not fifteen seconds, right? That's right. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, almost got it. Okay. Well, maybe I don't have it. Hold on. Oh, there we go. All right. Sorry. Uh, so this is Luke chapter nine, verse 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him, Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, uh, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory. The two men stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Now let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, while uh, he was saying this, a cloud came over and overshadowed them and they were terrified. Perfect. Okay. So they were talking so, about his departure. Right. Are you on blue letter Bible by chance? I am not. So look up that verse in blue letter Bible. Okay. What is the, it's Luke nine, what? 28. All right, so did you look that up? I'm doing it right now. Uh, so it's Luke 9.31 is the verse I want to look at. Okay, they spoke to him, or they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And in Greek, okay. departure is Exodus. Yes. This on the Mount of Transfiguration. So read it with that word in it instead of departure. They spoke about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So I, I think one of the great disservices we've done in the text is uh, changing that to English. You have freaking Moses telling Jesus to go and perform the exodus in Jerusalem. And we decide to change it to departure. So we make it about Jesus's ascension instead of about an exodus. When we change it to exodus, again, that should change the way we read this text, right? So imagine being Peter, James, and John. 
Okay. They're sitting there and they hear Moses tell Jesus to go and start the Exodus in Jerusalem. What, what do you, how do you imagine that three Jewish men hearing this? What, what to them is the Exodus? Freedom from oppression. Yeah. And how does, how is it achieved? Uh, <clears throat> through, um, I mean, aside from the plagues and everything, but it's through breaking empire. Right. It's through riot and looting. Uh, actually, God riots and loots all throughout Egypt. But we should really be angry about people rioting and looting because we don't have a very good example of that. Uh, that is not the way God would get people out of oppression, is it? Oh, wait, no. That's exactly how God got Israel out of oppression. But what is it not? It is not peaceful. It, it starts off that way, I would say. I mean, Tana, yeah, I mean, Tana made the the great point um, that Moses goes through the, the conventional means of trying to free the people. Right. And when they didn't hear, as I said, they didn't, they didn't listen when Moses knelt during the anthem. Yes. uh, God riots and loots Egypt and they leave, but it is, it is not a pleasant experience. It is not tiptoeing through the tulips. It is harsh. It is violent. It is uh, painstaking. It is grueling. It is anything but the way we've read Acts. Yeah. Right? Like, if, if the book of Acts is about the story of Exodus, then we are reading it through the wrong lens. If we are reading it as this favorable event going on. Right. And that's so important for us to set up for this. What acts is, is the story of the, of the second Exodus. It's the story of Israel. Once again, breaking free from the yoke of oppression of an empire that chooses to benefit from their work and labor and efforts, but kill them at will whenever uh, they defy them. And because we refuse to read the Bible through the lens of an oppressed people, uh, and we refuse to refer to Rome as an oppressor, in, in our reading of the Gospels and Acts and even Pauline letters, we miss out on the fact we make the only enemy Jewish leaders. And those are not the enemy. The enemy are the ones that vote people into office and keep them in power so we can maintain our power. I mean, not to put too fine of a point on it, but I think we can relate to that. Maybe. Right, And that's what the leaders of the temple were doing was that they were uh, canoodling with Rome in order to maintain their power and their autonomy within the Roman Empire. And they didn't give a crap 
about the rest of the oppressed people. They just wanted to maintain their power. That is very, very, very current events stuff right there. Yes. And, and it's important for us to realize that Jesus and the book of Acts and the apostles are about to say that is no place, that has no place in the kingdom of God. And so the people are going to be trained how to rise up and overthrow the, the leaders that decided getting in bed politically with empire was better than fighting against empire. Um, so if Axe is not a current events story, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is... Uh... That's a good point. I'm curious. Um, oh man, what's a good way to put this? I'm excited to hear what our listeners think in comparison to what they've grown up with to what we were just talking about. Because we're, I feel like we're always trying to, and by we I mean Christianity as a as a whole, trying to make the Bible relevant and figure out different ways and series on Sunday mornings to um, make this stuff tangible, but we ignore what's actually going on around us. Well, we want to make it relevant in a manner. And I think this is what you were saying. I'm just kind of building off. I think we want to make it relevant to pop culture, but not relevant to justice. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. We want to we want to do a series on the Matrix and the Gospel, or we want to do a series on superheroes and the Gospel, but we do not want to do a series on Overthrow Empire. Yeah, I mean, there's actual repercussions with that, right? Other than just copyright rights from Disney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah. So we've got about 10 minutes left in the episode before we wrap up. What else do we want to lay for the, the, the foundation for this that we haven't gotten to yet? I think it's just the overall setting in that Jesus doesn't let them go hide. Right? Like Jesus is like, I want you to go down to Jerusalem. I want you to stay in a public space. I want you to continue going to the temple daily which, by the way, the book of Acts often refers to the temple as the house. Um, That's very important. So when we see the speaking in tongues and everything in Acts 2, that's not taking place in the upper room. That would be a very crowded room. Uh, It's happening at the house, which is the temple. And so Jesus is telling these terrified freaked out individuals who just saw their leader get lynched and mutilated by empire to go and maintain a public presence in the midst of potential enemies and danger. Like he's asking him, I mean, this is ballsy or as my friend Ken Wilson will say, this takes some ovaries to do this, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is a big deal. He's not asking them to go and hide until a safer time. He's saying, go right down into the thick of it 
and continue to maintain a, a physical presence. And there will come a time. Look, one other piece, and man, geez, I could just go on and on about the book of Acts, which is great because we're going to try and do a series. The book of Acts loves the word witness. And witness in the Greek, when transliterated to English, do you know what word it is? No, I do not. Martyr. <laughs> Jesus is telling all of the people to be a martyr to the world. We read it as be, go and be a witness to the world. Jesus is saying, go and be martyrs. This is not uh, standing on a street corner, handing out tracks and yelling over a megaphone. This is going into the thick of enemy territory and systematically bringing it to its knees at the risk of your own life. So when Jesus says, "Take if you want to truly be my disciple, take up your cross, face the lynching tree, face empire, and make empire kill you. Acts is not an easy teaching. And, in, and this is why I said earlier in the, in the conversation, when people say, we need to go back to being an Acts 2 church, I'm like, you don't know what you're asking for. Do you really, like, I would, maybe it is what we should do. We need to go back to being so anti-empire that empire starts systematically hunting us down. Um, but I don't think most young white charismatic fellas, when they say, I want to start an Acts 2 church, uh, really are asking to be oppressed and uh, martyrs against empire. I think they're asking to become popular in their neighborhood and get to wear skinny jeans and thick rim glasses is what they're asking for. And oh, get their I, podcast. I feel attacked with the thick glasses and um podcast, but I understand what you're saying. About skinny jeans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, that's what I got, George. No, that, no. I, I think that this is a great place to um, stop this conversation because if we go any further, we're going to get in too deep and we're going to run over uh, in time. And this is, I feel like, a really good foundational um, episode to uh, to start into what's going on in Acts and why we're talking about Empire and Rome and you know all of it. I, th I think I think it's a really good foundational episode. So I want to I want to add something real quick, and it's not a point to the teaching, but instead, yeah, I want to invite our listeners to to read Acts along with us, right? So I would love to challenge you. So read Acts 1 before you, you listen to the next episode. And maybe at the beginning of each episode, we can ask people to consider pausing the episode to, to read through the chapter. And if you don't, if you listen to these podcasts on the road, which I know a lot of people do, um, there are apps that will read the chapter to you. I believe, uh, I don't think it's called Version anymore, but uh, there was a Bible app, I think called Version that... It'll read it to you. Yeah. So, so just before you, even if it's right before or a few times over the week before you listen to the next podcast, 
just start listening to the book of Acts and considering it through this lens and start to see if things jump out at you or things begin to change if you use this lens. And I'm not asking you to be convinced that I'm right. I'm asking you to consider it to be plausible. Uh, and if in that plausible place, uh, what it looks like if you hold that lens when reading the book of Acts. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, what? Check out our Patreon page, our Facebook page, our, our Twitter. Our YouTube, Instagram, all of it, at Evander Bros. Um, and if you have any questions, if you think we're wrong, or anything like that, email us. Especially yeah, don't, if you don't, don't agree. on our social media. Email yeah. us. Yeah. If you think we're which, wrong. Which is evangerbros at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Podbean, Apple, uh, Stitcher, whatever, drop by and, and give us a review. We prefer five stars because of algorithms, but... You know, again, if you and disagree. comments help a ton on that too. Not just the stars, but if you put a comment, it helps the algorithms as well. Even if you tell us we're big piles of steaming theology, yeah. Um, just make sure it's five stars, but then comment whatever you want. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been your co-host George. I've been your other co-host Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.